Hello, welcome to episode number 184 of the Apple Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by BetterHelp.com. Get affordable private online counseling anytime, anywhere. Talk with a licensed professional therapist online. You can go get a seven-day trial with the code word Apolog if you go to betterhelp.com slash Apolog. And go get therapied up, everybody. It's affordable, and it's a good thing to do, and everybody kind of needs to check in from time to time. I'd like to thank uh, all the people that shop on Amazon and help this show out, and you can help out the show, too. You can go to apolog.ca slash Amazon or apolog.ca slash US Amazon. And every time you want to shop on Amazon, you can use that link, and you'll be redirected to the massive website known as Amazon. And you can shop and support the show. It costs you no extra money. It's called a click-through. If you want to do the old-fashioned way, you can go to applog.ca and click on the banners located on the right side. Locate your country, where you're from, and it, it's um, you're off, and you're off, and you're off. Like I said, it costs you no extra money. If you want to help the show out on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash Pledge as much as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. If you want to buy a t-shirt or some music, go to applog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show, and give it five stars, please. It always helps out, and it helps the status of the show. So the more people that give it ratings, the more eyes that get on it, the more people listen to it, the more ratings. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a circle. If you like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Pod and follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have um, this is this is kind of a neat moment for me because I have Paul DeLong on the show. Paul DeLong is a professional drummer. He's been playing in bands since the early 70s. Where I kind of got into his drumming was playing on the first Kim Mitchell EP. It's a self-titled EP. And uh, I don't really know. I forgot to ask this question, but why Kim Mitchell doesn't play any songs off that EP? It's just, it's just a weird scenario because, you know, he had, Kim Mitchell had two more records and three more actually that were like quite huge. And uh, it seemed like he forgot about all the songs on this other one. Yeah. Oh, well. So anyways, Paul DeLong, still playing drums. He, I've met him again because I've met him a few times. You know, you'd play a show, do a show and you'd see him sort of backstage and you'd say, hey, Paul. And you'd be like, hey, you. And now we've had a conversation. And uh, I saw him at my venue and he was playing with Rick Emmett as a part of uh, his, his band. Here he is, Paul DeLong on the Apologue Podcast. I'm really honored to have you on the show, by the way. I, My pleasure. I followed cool. your work for 30 years. I mean, wow. yeah, you know, since I was into rock and roll and as, as, in, as, as a kid, uh, listening to, uh, I think the first time I ever heard like of you as a drummer would be the Kim Mitchell EP, the, uh, the first EP, uh, Misdemeanor right. and all that. That's you, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's recorded in Oshawa, right? That's right. At, uh, Quest, Quest Studios, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it. The building's still there, by the way. Is it? I mean, you can see the logo right there uh, as you're getting onto the 401 or getting off the 401. Yeah, it's right there. What? Well, why Oshawa? That I'm, I think I know who um, the owner was. Paul LaChapelle. Yeah. Um, what happened was uh, we had started recording in some other studio, and something went down that made it not cool to be there anymore. And Kim was looking for a studio, and he had just done um, uh, produced Coney Hatch's CD, and they did it at Quest. So he thought, and it sounded good. So he thought, well, let's just do it there. So that's why we ended up in Oshawa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where did you? Uh, where did you? Where did you grow up? I uh, I've never grown up. Um, <laughs> I I was born in Galt, Ontario, which is now Cambridge, and uh, lived there till I was five. And then the rest of the time I've been in Toronto. And I consider my formative years was when I was in, from 1965 on, when I was in Don Mills. And I first started playing the drums and playing in the first band I was in and all that stuff. So that's where I consider that I, I'm a suburban kid that I grew up in, in, in Don Mills. 
Did uh, who was your favorite drum? Like, what got you into drumming? Do you have in your family? Um, it was two things. Uh, there was my dad was a big jazz fan, and he had a huge collection of seventy eights. You remember seventy eight? Well, you don't remember, but yeah. seventy eight. <laughs> they went fast <laughs> RPM, uh, and they were uh, so he had a great jazz collection. And there was a record he had of Chick Webb and his orchestra doing. Um, a tune called Liza, which started with a drum solo. And uh, that, I remember him playing that, and that really captivated me. And then around the same time, I saw Ringo on Ed Sullivan with the Beatles, and which a lot of guys, that was their turning point. That was definitely a milestone for me. So I had the two things, the jazz influence and the, and the rock thing all happening at the same time. But uh, Ringo, that was huge. And then that whole British invasion really... Um, as far as rock music went, that that was it for me. So I liked um, all the bands that came out around that time. And, and then when The Who came out, that's that was it for me. I love Keith Moon and The Who and, and, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Keith Moon kind of reinvent, he invented rock drumming. I mean, reinvented, I mean, sorry. Like he, uh, I guess next to like Deep Purple and things like that, which had also really kind of spastic, kind of weird drumming in it as well, right? Well, I mean, Keith Moon kind of played a constant drum solo through everything, whereas Ian Pace was a bit more controlled and he had great technique and stuff. But I liked the wild abandon of Keith Moon. It was and it suited the music. It was great, you know. Um, but yeah, all those guys, Mitch Mitchell with Jimi Hendrix, he was huge in my life, and uh, um, who else? Carmine Apice with Vanilla Fudge. I saw them when I was about sixteen, and and he was amazing. He was great then, and uh, so all those guys. The first crop of rock drummers uh for me were were very influential and, and I, I just love the whole thing yeah i think i saw classic albums of um who's next and they, they oh yeah they, they have the drums soloed and uh they uh, i forget i think it was either was it pete townsend was talking about he's filling uh while roger daltrey's not singing like he's sort of he's singing he he's playing around the, the vocals yeah yeah, Roger Daltrey. I know I've seen that show, and Roger Daltrey is saying that he That's who, yeah, yeah, yeah. is is answering, punctuating the line, what he's saying and stuff. And it's true. I guess it's it's really cool, you know. Yeah, he had a really uh, unique thing going on. Yeah, yeah. We just had that that the you know classic albums live. They they just yeah. came up to our venue and did that. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago. Cool. And it was, yeah, the drumming. There's a lot of. Uh, I mean, between John Bonham and and uh, and Keith Moon. There was a lot of, uh, and then even Ringo Starr. I mean, there's always these little camps of people that I knew, as because I'm 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 like I'm 48 this year, and the people that liked Ringo didn't like John Bonham. You know what I mean? Like, there was sort of like this weird sort of um, divisions in in rock and roll. And I always thought it funny that people that didn't think Ringo was a good drummer. I thought I I just don't get that part, you know. And there's some people fundamentally say that Ringo's a shitty drummer. It's it's, it's this weird. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy. But I mean, I think um, I didn't realize how great he was until much later in life when I started to appreciate the depth of his groove and and how simple he played and just how he always played just the right fill and like you know. And and I really discovered it recently because I. Now I play in this uh, Beatles tribute called Once, and so I had to learn all this stuff, and I'm playing along with him, and I'm realizing, holy shit, this this is really laid back. Like, you try playing Hey Jude, you know, it's where he's putting it, and it's it's quite a, something. And he had he actually had great technique, like a tune like Help. His right hand is flying, you know, and, yeah. it, and it was effortless for him. I had to work on that to get to be able to play that tune, right? And I thought, oh, man, like, so Ringo, he was pretty heavy, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you, uh, you see, so you were in bands. What kind of bands were you in the early days? Well, the first band I was in was called The Hobbits, <laughs> and uh, and we played um, church dances and and stuff. Actually, one of our first gigs was at Massey Hall for a United Way United Way show, variety show, and um, and we played Can't Explain by The Who, and uh, uh, I think that we just played the one song because they had a whole bunch. Of, but anyway, we played a lot of Who songs and. Beatles and Rolling Stones, and uh, I used to kick over my. Well, I had I didn't have my own drums yet. My dad would rent me drums, and I used to kick them over. We did my generation. I kicked these drums over. Then when I finally got my own drums, I stopped 
kicking the drums or whatever. Yeah. yeah, these things are expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a behind me. I don't know if you can see it, but I have a nineteen mid nineteen sixties cornet kit. That oh I, wow! I got for free. Great. Yeah, it has the skins on it from uh, back when then. The, the back then. Yeah, the. Um, I'll tell you the story real fast, but um, the I had a where I worked at York University. They had a, a one of our work studies. Said my dad's got an old drum kit. And he doesn't want it anymore. Do you want it? I said yeah, sure. So I had to drive out to Hamilton to get it, like in the Hamilton area. I drove there and I found their place and they give me the drums and I I, I feel like I've robbed them. You know, I'm just like, oh, you sure? Yes, sure. Put them in my car, <laughs> drive them home, set them up. I hit I hit the toms. I'm, eh, I hit the floor tom. It's like <sighs> it's like something in there. I take it out. There's a night a newspaper from 1977 inside from that area, cool. yeah, and it's like the Ayatollah Khomeini like news from 1977. <laughs> yeah. And I, I took it out, I took it, put the put the skin back on, and it's like boom, it's like this. I lucked out so good, like the, the yeah. it's like a 20 inch kick, and yeah. it sounds amazing recorded. Um, the kit, cool. you know, the rack tom I think needs work, but what a great sounding kit, and it's free. <laughs> That's good. You know, my first snare drum was a coronet. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was sort of a pink color or something, pearl, like uh, red or pink pearl or something. And uh, But I just had a snare drum, and it had a little arm that went off the side with a cymbal, and that was the first thing I started playing on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those old Japanese drums, uh, they weren't made too well, but they sound pretty good, actually. Yeah, they were kind of, were they pearls? Like, they were from Sears. You can get them, right? Yeah, like they would be in the series catalog and stuff for 156 bucks or something. Like yeah. That set. And I have, uh, this came with two 13-inch rack toms. Oh, I, there you go. I don't know why. It has, it has yeah, a, yeah, that's it's unusual. Yeah, it is weird. I either, <laughs> he somehow, I don't know, it's weird. Cause I can't even ask the question anymore because I don't, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's interesting, mm-hmm. interesting, crazy <laughs> thing. Like these drums have lasted for so long. And they're pretty good drums, and like I'm not, you know, yeah. obviously a, a professional drummer or a drummer drummer. Like somebody might just wreck them if they play on them hard, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's good to have. My son was we were just down here jamming like this morning, or just I mean, uh, sorry, right after his school, and it's like yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a cool cool thing to have in the basement. But um, sure. so did your parents hate the fact that you were the drummer, or did like did they rather you were a flute player? Like, what was the? They were totally into it. No, no, no. They were very supportive. My dad would, uh, like I said, he'd come home on Friday night on his way home from work. He'd uh, rent a set of drums for me, and then he'd take them back Monday morning, and uh, and he'd go and he'd take me to the gig, and then pick me up. And my dad never saw the end of a movie at, on TV because he always had to come and get me after the was playing. So that's very cool. Uh, yeah, so no, they were very supportive. Yeah, yeah. Until I said that I wanted to do it for a living, then they weren't so supportive. I had to win them over. How long did it take you? Did it take like your first like Maple Leaf Gardens show or something for them to go, see? I told you. <laughs> yeah, Massey Hall, that was that did it. Yeah, yeah. We did a sold out show at Massey Hall with Kim. And yeah. uh, I think they were finally went, oh, I guess it's going to be okay if he does this. <laughs> yeah, I had the same awakening with being a sound guy too. It took it yeah. took a good ten years, you know, for for my folks to go. Oh, hey, seems to be okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, yeah. this is working out. Um, yeah. So so you so you're primarily like, did you start? You were jazz, and then you went to sort of the who, and and then did you did you get any actual lessons? Did you did you did you? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I played for three years before I had lessons, and I was, you know, just playing, trying to play like Keith Moon or whoever, mm-hmm. Charlie Watts, whoever. Then when I would turn seventeen, I thought, well, it's about time to get some lessons. So uh, took lessons from this guy Lou Williamson, who ran the drum department at Long McQuaid's at the time. And um, so uh, it's funny because uh, we had a class. It wasn't individual lessons; we had classes, and and I was in the intermediate class or something, and. I think David Kent was in that with me, and David Kent became the principal percussionist for the Toronto Symphony. And then a guy named Danny Smith, who played for a band called Brutus. And um, yeah, so, but yeah, that, so I learned how to read, and, uh, and that was cool, and that was good for a couple of years. And then I hooked up with, um, I needed, I realized I needed to learn some more. So I learned, I picked up with uh, a drummer named Pete Megadini, who had just, he was from the U.S. and he had just moved up to Toronto. And that, that's when it really started happening, because mm-hmm. he turned me on to everything that I needed to know and uh, a wide variety of stuff. And, and it was, uh, 
it was great. So I studied with him for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And then, see, at that time, uh, you know, I've been listening to a lot of rock music and prog rock and stuff, but then the, the whole fusion movement started. And, um, uh, and so that totally, that became my main thing with, uh, I, I saw Billy Cobham play with the Mavish Orchestra. I saw Lenny White play with Return to Forever. Um, and that changed my life. Like it was just, uh, I, I became the ultimate fusionaire from that point. And then I, so I, I continued, uh, my studies, um, and I started transcribing stuff like a mad fiend. Just, I still have this book I call it the DeLong Bible. It's just drum beats and fills and stuff. I transcribed from all these records that were happening. And I was just a fanatic about it. I'm fanatic for practicing. I would take practice pads on the road with me mm-hmm. when I was, when I was like playing with Dominic Triano or whoever. And, um, yeah, so, uh, it was definitely a evolution from the self-taught hacker to somebody who sort of had a, had a bit of a facility now. You know? Yeah, I, I'm, the one thought I have to that, and it happens to pretty much all musicians that sort of evolve, and that is the fact that, okay, you, you have talent, you can play, but you could take it, you could stop right there and say, yeah, I got talent, I can play, but it's your it's your brain that can kind of soak in influences to then put it back into your art and it always is a self-feeding um machine and and when you can use use all like these technical crazy patterns and theories and and put it into say a commercial record that's to me is the important thing that you take the tasteful great parts of that and you can actually play in rock and and that to me is uh because a lot of people who do sort of jazz and stuff they would never consider it's like classical pianists versus jazz pianists there's mm-hmm. there's never any real um there's a big line there you know what i mean a big divide yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, I mean um try to get a classical musician to improvise that's uh, impossible but they have amazing facility on the uh, on the instrument but yeah it's a yeah it's a funny thing but i i just remember when i was like 19 i thought i was pretty good because I'd had two years of lessons and I thought, oh, I, I'm really happening now. And then when I went to Pete, uh, I remember he put on this record of, uh, it was uh, Miroslav Vitas with uh, Jack DeJanette on drums. He said, here, play along with this. And I lasted about two bars and I could not, I could not make head or tail of it. And I realized, oh, geez, I don't know anything. I gotta get, <laughs> I gotta get myself <laughs> together here. Yeah. And that realization, continues up until I'm 65 now and I'm still learning I'm still transcribing I'm still getting new books I'm still working on it a lot you know so uh, mm-hmm. that it's a never-ending thing which I love but the fact that it's a, a lifelong thing you know it's pretty cool yeah I, and when you sort of in the early 80s when the dawn of music TV and and, yeah. and how how the industry kind of got flipped on its ear a lot of musicians up the front got kind of left behind because you know like video killed the radio star i mean like that's the yeah. whole that's the whole premise and it really kind of must have been a scary notion to to think that oh this this whole thing is changing did you have a realization like going into like 1984 that things would never be the same again or was there was a you see it coming down main street well you know i mean we it's funny because in playing with Kim, like music was kind of the thing, you know, and we just tried to be a great band. But at the same time, you know, you had bands like Platinum Blonde and Glass Tiger and bands with good hair, right? And mm-hmm. all puffed up and they just looked a certain, and we never bought into that or did, you know, like any of that. And so we, but we did videos and stuff, right? But, but it wasn't like, um, we weren't trying to be video stars, that's for sure. And it, <laughs> just weren't you know and it's, it's funny because um somebody like brian adams is sort of the same you know like we were on the road with brian adams and he wear he would wear a white t-shirt and blue jeans on stage and and uh he had kind of bad skin and his hair kind of like <laughs> and uh yeah i mean I, I I've never been into in, in bands. Well, now I got no hair, but I've never been in bands where that shit sh- made a difference or or we, it wasn't the main thing. The music was always the main thing. 
Yeah. Whoever I played with, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it can agree that, you know, we we just went through this whole weird thing over the past fifteen years about digital music and how it's yeah. taken over and there's always some there's some little like almost like somebody pulling the thread a little bit going oh okay let's and 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 sometimes it's healthy i mean sometimes it's it's healthy to and it opens up log jams where um people find ways i mean ultimately now you know people find ways to make money um selling Mm -hmm. records and people find ways like it survives it's like almost like it's almost like darwinism it's like it just sort of happens things kind of so, kind of work out and um yeah yeah I, I i do remember the early days like when yeah for when when it was like kim mitchell videos and i was very happy because there was like i was in the same vein like i was 14 in 1984 yeah. i mean that was right in that sweet spot of like being completely yeah. coerced but then again i kind of knew who weather report were i kind of know what jeff beck was I was really into cool. Yes and Rush and things like that, like somewhat progressive music. And, mm-hmm. and it didn't seem to scare me as much as, as the second wave of the new wave, that sort of when things changed yeah. sort of in the 90s and things like that, like big time. But uh, I I feel that it's, yeah, I mean, going back to the whole, like, yeah, the, someone's always kind of pulling at the thread a little bit to see, you know, what can change. Like, do you, do you find yourself kind of, because you're learning so much, is it sort of combating the fact that things are always changing? I live in my own little bubble, basically, and I don't really, I, I've created this strange little world for myself, and I just keep plowing along at, at what I do and um, trying to progress and listening to the stuff I listen to, and I don't pay much attention to what is going on, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't listen to popular music now. I don't yeah. care about it. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. I know it's a terrible thing to say. But I just don't, and I I have anxiety attacks if I'm I stopped going to this really great breakfast restaurant because they played CHFI uh, all the time, and I can that shit uh, it makes me crazy. This like non melodic, non chords, non rhythm, non lyric, just this meandering crap that I don't get like what it's supposed to be, you know. And um, and I know I sound like an old fart when I say that, but uh, I truly believe that. I grew up in the most creative time in the '60s when Jimi Hendrix was putting out albums and and um, and all the prog stuff and just there was some really creative stuff going on and and great melodies and or I mean think about songwriters you know like James Taylor and Paul Simon and mm-hmm. and um, you know it's just I don't know um, and I I know there's some great guys out there now but uh, generally speaking popular music now is part of the digital age and part of auto tune and all that shit. This is like, mm-hmm. and this, this fabricated music that's based on, if you take away all the production and all the stuff and just say, okay, here, play me a song, take an acoustic guitar and just play me this song and take away all the stuff. And, and do you have a song or not? I, I don't think so. You know, like the same thing with these award shows, like Grammy shows and stuff, the production, the visual stuff is like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But there isn't really much going on, like musically, like from my, from, and, I, and I think I know something about music, and and I don't hear anything earth shaking. I, I just get, I just end up shutting her off because it's just like I don't hear it. You know? But yeah. that could just be me. Yeah, no, I think I think that if you if you followed a path and it's been successful, um, like a lot of people change their image, they change their musical style. For, for two reasons, mostly because they've come to an epiphany that, hey, I can go in this direction, and I like this direction. The other one, more nefarious, is like, oh, I can make some money over here, you know? And and, yeah. and that's why people usually sort of change, um, you know, and then and that's sort of the dirty part of the industry, you know? And I kind of, in my late 20s, early 30s, kind of, I had a band, I put some records out, and people would say things like, um, you know, you do really good if you lost 30 pounds and learn how to sing, you know, and, and without, with a straight <laughs> face, like, like, you know, yeah. like straight faced and going, oh, okay, you know, like, that's yeah. a big blow to one's ego. And when you're worried about making good music first, and then yeah. worrying about whether or not you're going to not die of a heart attack on stage, those are, you know, I mean, there's, there's, that's a big, big spread there, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you you are correct. Some of the greatest music came out of the the, the 60s, 70s. That that wasn't there was nothing in the way. I mean, all uh, you know, if you draw the metaphor to or even put that towards TV. I mean, there's three channels and 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 no cable. You know, so that yeah. so the 
So the, the market was pretty closed, you know, and, and now it's opened up and diversified and changed so much. How are you going to, you know, I could see how that could be a little overwhelming, though, like, shit, man, like, that is, <laughs> that's a lot to, yeah. to take in. Um, yeah. Well, when did you, when did you start teaching yourself? Because you're teaching at Humber now, or? Yeah, you, I've yeah. been there for 30, 30 years. Did now. you teach uh, a guy named Lee McCormick? I guess you teach a lot of people. Yeah, I sure did. Lee is an old friend yeah. of mine from Pickering. And he yeah. told me a story when he tried out for Humber, and I would be interested to know if it was with you, that there was two kits in the room. There was a ni yeah. nice brand new kit and an old jazz 60s kit. And what got yeah, him yeah. points is that he sat behind the jazz kit and started playing that. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't have been doing... I know the kits he's talking about, and I, I didn't do auditions back then, but I, 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 later I did, uh, but... Uh, He's probably right. Yeah, I thought they had a little Gretsch kit that was uh, kind of beat up, but it sounded great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, what was the question again? Oh no, no, sorry. Yeah, teaching, teaching at Humber. Teaching. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so, did you find? You know, is is it is it the fact that you can stay close to, or do you, you really obviously must enjoy teaching because it takes a special kind of someone <laughs> to teach people stuff like? Yeah, no, I, I do enjoy teaching, and it it, it keeps me on my toes, and uh, keeps me uh, keeps my chops up, and uh, it's always constantly reaffirming um, basic things, you know, and and uh, keeping that stuff sharp. But also, my students turn me on to some music that I wouldn't normally hear, maybe, and which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, that's happened a fair amount, and uh, yeah, I, I just like the whole thing, especially. If it's a student that's really into it and he really gets it, and and you see him, you watch him develop, and he's progressing, uh, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there a is there a t um, a specific type of yeah? There must be a specific type of person that you put you could cherry pick, or a person that you can sort of put into a category that um, if you've been doing it for so many years, do you do you find that e that person easier to find as you get you know more experience at teaching? Uh, like a specific someone's got a talent set that is like off the charts yeah no i can tell right away if somebody's really got music in them or whether they got no music in them and <laughs> i should tell them to go home yeah and forget about it but uh, that happens too and uh although sometimes i've had students that the whole first semester i, I thought oh man this this is going nowhere and then the second semester all of a sudden they came alive and started to really blossom so Mm -hmm. I would never uh, say to someone, "Go away." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That means the I system. Like it, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I sometimes I felt like it, but but generally, uh, it's um, yeah. You just never know what everybody develops at a different rate and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, when you find that in the second year that someone sort of starts. Um, you know, you notice a change in that. I was going to say that kind of makes makes sense that the the system works the system they're put into works yeah. and their surroundings yeah. and and that's like that's um i mean that's a tough thing music and art and universities or colleges are because uh, i worked for one for 10 years and it was a interesting spread between having to generate you know success or a, a, as well as um, the old guard which was kind of sit there and learn how to learn like yeah. York University used to be a place where people sit on a hill and smoke weed and then talk about stuff and then go do some learning. And that was, there was no like um, mandate or agenda. It was just like, yeah. know, how, how, is, how is Humber? Is Humber in that vein of let's hang out? And I'm not saying smoke weed on a, on a hill. That sounds, but it sounds kind of fun. But actually, Humber is a pretty happening school. And, and if you don't work your ass off there, you're in trouble, like you're gonna fall by the wayside, because mm -hmm. uh, the workload is huge. And um, there, there's some really good playing, like great ensembles, uh, all kinds of different music happening. And it's, it's, it's pretty happening. Mm -hmm. Of mm -hmm. all the schools, I think it's, it's, it's probably the best, you know, and I would compare that even to Berkeley or, or some of the schools in the US. I agree. I remember there was people that said they would sp specifically go to Humber to, to to find people to play in the bands that they were putting together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, definitely. I applied there and got into the first year, but my uh, my academic grades weren't good enough to, to, to get right into the course. So I had to do this sort right. of booster. So I would have been had to be there yeah, for, yeah. for five years. I was a little bummed out by that, but <laughs> I didn't go. 
I, you know, yeah. maybe I'd be a different person if I, you know, cause I went and did more m- music mixing and things like that at that point. Mm-hmm. So maybe that, maybe I would have not done as much. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? These things. Yeah. So when you, um, so you, when, when you put the gig together to go play, say for instance, I saw you a couple of weeks ago and you know, you're doing a Rick Emmett concert and things like that. Yeah. Do you, do you guys, do you guys get together a couple of times or like how's the how is it now because usually it's when people kind of know how to play it's sort of like they just get together and play and that's the best part of being a musician well rick uh he does a lot of duo gigs but not so many band gigs so uh previous to that gig that we did uh you saw i think maybe the last thing we did we did this rock legends cruise in february that might have been the last gig (laughs) and we did so we didn't rehearse before richmond hill but I think we've played enough now that we kind of know the stuff. But uh, I'm always the guy that requests the rehearsal because mm-hmm. uh, I, I like to make sure. I hate the feeling of of being loose and unsure of what how the tunes go or something. I I, I don't like that at all. So mm-hmm. I, I I'm big on rehearsing. You know. Yeah, there's there's two schools at my end because it does. So we get busy. As I I have kids and I have I have a family and I have a job. It's tough to get together, and yeah. the people I play with all kind of know how to play, anyways. You know, so there's a yeah. system. You just the magic can kind of be created based on previous knowledge of knowing how to play. I mean, I've spoke to people yeah. about when they had their first band. The first band was like teaching the bass player how to play notes, and and yeah. and, and then you know, there's then their next band was like same thing, but they, you know, and then they're by the time they're my age, it's like if you don't know how to play an instrument by now, you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> you should, you should. I- yeah, I mean, like with um, like this. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, because I mean, certain there's certain gigs that uh, um, you can just show up and play. I mean, good musicians can just show up and play for sure. But I'm just saying, if you want to do a, a show, if you're doing a show that people come to see, and you're supposed to know these songs, and you're still wondering, oh, how does this end anyway? That's mm-hmm. not good, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't like to. I wouldn't want to disappoint a, yeah. somebody in the audience. You know, when yeah, absolutely. Like the segues yeah. between songs is the show. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, when now at that point, it should be, uh, you know, how to how to get out of one song, get into the next without yeah. sitting and talking about it. And okay, count it in, you know, like because that's, that's the dead <laughs> giveaway, right? Like, you know, where everyone can can, can maintain or can get composure and then sort of put their head in and while the lead person talks too much and. Yeah, that's yeah. a dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah. So, so I uh, I'm really good friends with a guy named Cleve Anderson who plays used to play in Blue Rodeo and yeah. he he stopped playing in Blue Rodeo because he was a mailman and he decided that I have a pension and I have a I have a a career being a mailman. Do I want to be take this big risk and be in Blue Rodeo for the rest of my life or do I just want to play later in life? And that's what he did. Like he plays more gigs now as a and, and he's 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 almost he's 68 or 60 something yeah and he he plays every day i mean he enjoys it but he took a different route to you because you just just kept playing i mean yeah were there were there any times like in your career where you're like god i wish i worked at walmart never never uh <laughs> <laughs> no i i had one bad month in 1984 83 I don't know. Kim lost his record deal with Anthem Records at the time. And I was only the drummer for the Kim Mitchell band. I hadn't learned how to freelance yet. So when record deal, um, the band, we're not doing anything for months and months. And I you know, and I had a, a baby at home, my son. And uh, I had to, I, so my stepmother got me a gig being a courier for a month driving this little truck, the worst month of my life that if I ever thought, oh, I, I don't know about this music thing, that reaffirmed that, yes, I love music. This is all, all I want to do. Right? Cause that doing a day job for a month just about killed me. Mm-hmm. It was like, holy shit, this is the way other people live. I don't, no wonder there's so many alcoholics, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously if you're, uh, <laughs> have a high paying, corporate job or something i guess that's a different story but i i never belonged in that world that's for sure and music just and musicians hanging with musicians always felt right to me you know mm-hmm. and still does 
Yeah. yeah, I have a hard time relating to other people. <laughs> yeah, I I had the same. Well, I mean, I've always been a sound person, but I was in the periphery of a musician. But sound was a good way to not have to give up and go away and get a job yeah. with an in an office, and that was sort of my my trade, you know, to stay close to the to the to the art. And I remember when before I sort of had any real gigs or, or career, and I used to deliver um, computer paper or uh, paper to banks, and I would right. get up at four in the morning. And I had just become a huge fan of Fear, the band Fear, and they have a record called For the Record, or The Record, and uh, there's a song called Let's Start a War, like it's the most angry, and it's really technically great, actually. If, if you ever saw the, the Foo Fighters documentary of Sound City, leaving oh, yeah, the singer of Fear, he's the lead singer of Fear. Um, cool. He's John Belushi's favorite band, um, and cool. got him on Saturday Night Live. But I would listen to this record, and I would just be like, dark right driving in darkness you know going to deliver paper <laughs> and i go oh, I, I hate this i hate this so yeah. much oh, no, so no. much and um you know I, I to get normal i mean i you know whatever i'm i'm now going to backpedal cuz there's there is a place for normal jobs and there's a we can't all be lunatics like it's true driving it's true. around in vans with with computer paper in the back like there has to be <laughs> some normal people out there to 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 create uh the you know the, um, uh, stability i mean and yeah. my uh, my big pitch was always like i just want to be stable i just want to have i want to have comfort and it takes so many years to get to the fact where you're just first of all comfortable that okay i'm not comfortable i'm comfortable with kind of being broke right now because i know something's coming yeah. And, and um, to be able to, um, the the older I got, the less sort of you know, the less I wanted to go sleep on floors, and and you know, oh, it became yeah. more more picky about things. So, I mean, it's a it's a compromise of music, you know, to play music. It's a compromise with life, and and you know, and there's there's a, that has to be said. I mean, like you're obviously, if you've done so many years, there's so many times you're like, oh, where's my paycheck coming this week or month or whatever, you know, like. And it usually provides, and that's must be a, yeah. a rewarding thing. Yeah, it totally is, and it's funny because you just get used to that, and um, not knowing necessarily what you're uh, going to be doing, or if there's any work in three months. But it, it always works out; like it's always there. Now, I mean, I got gigs booked next for 2019, and um, so I don't worry about that stuff so much you know because because the, the work does come in but um yeah um i remember a neighbor said to me once who a normal straight human <laughs> he <laughs> said he said you mean you don't know if you what you're doing three months from now whether you're going to work or not and i said no and he said how do you live like that? i wouldn't be able to sleep at night and it's just like i don't know the work comes it does you know yeah yeah, I was like that with recording because I recorded bands for I have recorded bands for almost thirty years, and uh, the first couple of months when I was in my new space at Ossington and Dundas was frightening as hell. Like I had yeah. this big space and no work, and and uh, I mean that's an interesting. I mean it's interesting to think about the concept of surviving, um, mm -hmm. because you know you will. You, you you can kind of tell people that are comfortable with life because they're you're not like you were just talking you're not worried really about what's happening because it all kind of works itself out but it takes a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of uh guts to sort of worry or to not worry and to know that it's just going to happen based on your merit who you are as a person how good you are as a musician i mean and it all does pay off you know and that's a lot of people who who are on the outside that's a tough thing to explain i mean like you've put yeah. your, your whole life into this you're you know i mean whatever how's your body keeping up like your elbows and your wrists and everything my back is sore my knees are sore i'm deaf mm -hmm. uh other than that i'm okay <laughs> <laughs> what do you do no, i mean go ahead no when i'm playing i feel 20 again but when not so much when i'm not playing you know but uh yeah, and that you were going to say I do exercise and I ride my bike and I try and do some exercise all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. If someone, well, if, if Kim Mitchell said I'm going to do a hundred date tour, I need you to come back out on the road. Is that a? Is that a? Would you cancel everything and, and go do something like that? No. 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 <laughs> I like I, I like the variety of what I do and uh, 
and I like just doing one off two or three days max and and come back you know i i don't want to be i've had my years on the road where being away for months and stuff and yeah i unless peter gabriel calls me i i'm not going to do that you know i agree i don't think peter gabriel likes tour much anymore either i the uh i I have to say i did see kim mitchell with you playing drums uh would have been at uh carlton university um in the late 80s i want to say 89 89 No, that wasn't me. I was I was gone by '87. Who used to tape the drum stool to them? Was that you? Who used to what? Tape the drum stool onto their on, t- like whoever played drums at that point had the drum stool taped to them, like somebody. That's weird. Yeah, it was weird. I guess it wasn't you. Because <laughs> 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 he got up and walked away, and the stool was attached to his ass as he's walking off stage. I thought that was an that's, interesting. That is interesting. Very yeah. strange style. That's a that's a, that's the, the, whoever that was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. So, so you have you have tons of gigs. You're healthy. Uh, music's still exciting. Um, is, is there anything like back from like you were 20 that you carry on, or is there anything you've sort of like pushed away and said, uh, you know, I would think we talked a little bit about the fact that you're not going to go on a hundred day tour. Yeah. Is there anything else like that? You sort of like, you, you said, I feel like I'm 20 again when I play drums. So, I mean, all these questions are, are, that's a moot question, but is there anything else that you think that sort of like carries you forward being who you are now to who you are 30, 40 years ago? Um, I had the same mental outlook, basically, I think, mm-hmm. of just wanting to improve and, and sort of being a drum geek and um, a music geek. And when I meet my heroes, geez, these rock legends cruises, I've done three of them with Rick Hammett. And I'll, I'll just, like, the last one Todd Rundgren was at the salad bar, and I can't help, I cannot help myself go up to him and just be a babbling idiot. I cannot help myself. I'm just like a little kid, you know? And uh, fortunately, they usually don't mind, you know? But I've, I've done that. Airports, I, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in an airport in Indiana, and I, saw John Patitucci and Brian Blade and I went running over to them and just said, Oh my God, you know, and, uh, it, <laughs> the other guys in the band I was with are going, what's wrong with him? You know, cause it's just not cool to do that. But I, I'm, I, what I'm trying to say is I'm still as excited about music as I always was. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm not jaded about it, about the, I'm jaded about the business a bit, but not the music. Yeah. Like, like playing the drums is the same thrill for me as always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so your your way of sort of com- competing with the music industry is not not mess with it. It's just say, okay, that's yeah. You know. I always <laughs> I thought it would be. I don't know if you remember when I, the the Smashing Pumpkins hired John uh, uh, John Ar- No, what's his name? Kenny Arnoff to play drums right. with them. And yeah. I, I always thought that was like a weird combination. You know, I thought it was weird. But he also had like a bunch of makeup on and he sort of kind of changed his whole look to it. And I wonder, I just want to know, like, somebody must have pushed a whole wagon of money over to him to to okay, we want you to not play like John Cougar Mellencamp songs. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, we just lost our most epic drummer ever. And, and now we need you to play. And yeah. uh, I, that was, so that's, I mean... To be a sideman, you have your own. Do you have your own combos that you've put together? And is there yeah, is there a difference between combos that you've put together and sort of bands you sort of come into? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have my own fusion band, and we play the music that I love, which is Mavish Orchestra and Tony Williams, like the fusion stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I work about two or three times a year with that band, and that's it. But uh, that's my main passion because but I'll never make money doing that. But then, you know, any other situation I'm in, I, I'm like a chameleon. I mean, I, I do what that gig requires. When I do the Ringo, the Beatles thing, I don't be, I'm not playing like Billy Cobb. I'm playing as I bought a set of Ludwig drums, a Ringo kit just to get the sound and feel right. You know, playing it. Do you sit and, high uh, like Ringo? Do you sit all high up in the I, sky? I can't sit that high. It's, it's too weird for me, but yeah. I, I, I got everything on the kit happening down like the old 60s cymbal stands, hi-hat and Speed King bass drum pedal. And um, I took all the logos off my cymbals and uh, it's pretty authentic, you know? So um, yeah, I try, I have to, I know that part of the reason I've had success is that I'm good at 
coming into a situation and adapting to it and doing what they want me to do as opposed to trying to insert my agenda on them, which is the kiss of death if you're, you know, doing sessions or doing anything and you're trying to steer it into another direction. If nobody asks you to be doing that, you can't be doing that, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd had 10 years where I did a musical theater mainly for 10 years and that's a situation where you got to play the same thing every night, the same way every night. And, um, there's no room for improvisation or uh, messing around, you know. So um, that's that's quite a discipline, but it pays real well, you know. So, <laughs> what? Uh, where were you? What area were you doing the music theater down in the city, down in Toronto, like Mervish stuff? I or? was. I started off subbing, uh, yeah, Mervish Mervish shows and stuff. I started off as a sub on Tommy. Then I went on the road with Tommy across Canada. Then I did Joseph as a sub, and then I went on the road doing that. I went to. Um, Vancouver, I did it for a while there, and then I went to Salt Lake City. Then I subbed on Rent in Toronto and went on the road in Ottawa, to Ottawa doing that, then went to the States for four months doing Rent for four months straight, which that was fairly depressing. But Who was the lead uh, on that? Was it Chad Richardson doing that? The uh, Rent? That was the lead that I knew that was doing the Toronto show that went to, to yeah, Broadway eventually. Okay, okay that was, yeah. Chad sounds familiar, that name. Uh, like, I did it with the Toronto cast, but then there was a different, a bit of a different cast that went on the road. And then in the U.S., there was two different touring companies that I was with. Uh, so um, some of those had been on Broadway, some of the actors and stuff. But I, it's fairly foggy to me now because it was, uh, that was like from 1995 to 2005, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, then I, I did Lion King, where I subbed on it, and then uh, well, I, I ended up doing it quite a bit actually, four hundred and fifty shows actually, <laughs> and then I then I did um, Hairspray, and that was the first one where I was the main guy. I wasn't the sub anymore. I was the main guy in Toronto. <laughs> it only but took you ten up. years. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 um, actually I kind of like being the sub better. Like if yeah. I was doing the show two, two or three times a week, as opposed to when Every I was day. doing rent, doing eight shows a week for four months straight, that's tough. That's real tough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you're trying to keep it fresh, just in your head, yeah. and yeah, and, and yeah. You know, were you tackling the fact that it was your job, or was it was it something like that sort of the mundaneness of it all, or? Yeah, it gets a little uh, like Groundhog Day because it's the same thing at eight o'clock every night. You know where you're going to be, and you, you know you're going to be playing exactly the same thing as you played the night before. So I combat that. Like I said, I would take practice pads with me on the road and try and keep working on stuff and just you know try and uh, do something besides just play rent. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, that's. Oh my God. I. Uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time because I. I you know. I really. I really appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on the show. And it was. We don't. We don't really know each other, but we keep sort of bouncing off each other over the past twenty years. That I felt like I've done monitors for you at one point, and then there's sort of times yeah. where you're like high five in the hall at a show somewhere, and then. It, so it's like, I appreciate you. Um. You know, being. You know inviting to the fact of talking about this and we didn't even talk about the books like you write books and in in and you're very involved with that and that's writing a book i mean before you go let me know like because you've written yeah, how yeah. many books three or four three just two just two, two. Just two books though. two books that takes an incredible amount of time and effort to do that when did you find when did you find time to do that well actually i started the first book i was doing uh i think i was doing hair at the time or something uh but I, I just found time. I just, you know, every spare moment I was just working on it. And I really didn't, when I, the first one, I didn't, I had to learn a finale a music notation program. So I was learning that. It's a big learning curve. And I had to learn how to do the layout of the book. And so that was huge. That first book took me four years because I did, <laughs> I, I learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. And then the second book, I I knew what I was doing. And that's, that's that took a year, the second one. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's like I'm just sort of a manic kind of person. When I get into something, I that's all I do, you know. So, so I just put all my effort into it. You know? Yeah, I I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I, there's sort of somewhat of a, a persistence and an integrity, or not integrity, but audacity that you sort of like have to 
um, yeah. to keep, keep on with it because, um, you know, I, I, I do this podcast for that very reason. Cause it's the most exciting thing to do artistically for me. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. sort of, a, you know, to find outlets and, and a book would be something that's a different outlet, but it's the same amount of a persistence and tenacity yeah. to sort of get through. Yeah. I, I just think, I think it's kind of cool to, um, it's sort of my legacy, right? Like if mm -hmm. I broke tomorrow, you know, maybe uh, somebody, so, you know, I get the, the royalty report, the, the, I get the royalty check, and then they have a printout of all the books that have been sold. And somebody in Indonesia bought my book, and it's like, well, maybe that made a difference to somebody's <laughs> life or something. You know, maybe they really dug the book. You know, I, I like that, you know. So yeah. when you die, it's not, it's like, well, that guy was all right, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because all the lights are going to be switched off. We do know it. Like all the mediums you've recorded on are all going to be uh, useless. <laughs> Maybe some vinyl out there. Somebody will rig something with a horn, and you may have to sort of turn it, and you're like, you know, misdemeanor <laughs> or whatever. But there's, right. <laughs> it's like crank it up. It's like it'd be way off timing. People try to play to it, but it'd be too fast because you cranked it too much. But there, there. I mean, the book is something definitely that it takes a. Uh, it, it, for me, because I always, it's one of my things. I think it'd be fun to write something, a biography on something, you know. And my, I did think it'd be fun to write something on Molson Park because that that whole beast is a, it's its own character of what happened mm -hmm. over the past whatever it was like. It was the largest Canadian grow up in history, uh, you know. Af, after it sold, you know, from Molson, I thought that nobody wanted to talk about it though because it's like I kind of like my fingers on my hands, you know. Like so, there was some other. <laughs> The shady dealings <laughs> going on there, but um, but now, yeah, for sure. I uh, I think you're you're uh, you're definitely like up there with with people that I I respect who who've carried on. They still play and they enjoy music for the fact that it's music and it's not a commodity. And that's yeah. that thing. So I think that's something that a lot of people who listen to this show can kind of resonate to. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Mr. Paul DeLong, good talk, right? That was fun. An honor, as I said, an honor to have Canadian rock and roll history on the show. How about that? That's pretty cool. So, everybody, thanks a lot for checking out the show. Thanks for uh, anybody who wants to uh, make a comment. You can go to appleart.ca slash contact. And, you know, it's not just for Russian spy bots anymore. You can actually make contact if you want to have someone on the show or you want to be on the show why don't you do that come on over apple.ca slash contact and that's a good way to communicate with me over this or you can go to facebook um like the show on facebook or facebook.com slash pod yeah and don't forget about betterhelp.com slash apologue enter the code word apologue at checkout for a seven day free trial and that's everything i got a few guests lined up i can't tell you who they are Again. I hope to see you next week. Summer's coming up. It's coming on hard now, and the grass is growing, and people have seasonal allergies, myself included. And have a good week. We'll see you again next week. Bye.